welcome you uh, to the start of a new series. You know, I got an email just uh, recently, and it was basically saying, hey, Pastor D, I, I, you know, I've seen these different studies that say, you know, um, when you go into the new year, can you guys believe, like, we're already in February of 2016? Like, what? You know what I mean? We were just talking about New Year's resolutions and all that kind of stuff. Anyway, this guy was saying, you know, one of the things that they were telling me with regards to New Year's resolutions is that it's really important that you finish what you start. And no matter what, finish what you start. And he said, so I'm doing really good so that you can have peace and, and health and all that kind of stuff. So I just want you to know I'm doing really good finishing what I've started. I just finished off a box of Oreos, a cheesecake, and a bag of potato chips. <laughs> How many know that's not what we're talking about, right? So we're not going to talk about finishing anything, but we are going to talk about starting something. We're starting a new series, Firepower. Turn to your neighbor and say, Firepower, okay? And I'm really excited about this. Actually, I was going to be doing a completely... By the way, if you don't know who I am, you're new to Connect. Uh, my name is Pastor Derek. So PD, Pastor Disaster, whatever you want to call me. Uh, and uh, during the first part of the year, we went into 21 days of prayer and fasting. And, and it was during that time, I usually start to prepare things, think about what we're going to do a little bit sooner. And there's a whole method to the madness of that. But I was actually over there praying, and I felt like the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, I want you to talk about me. I want you to talk about me with your people. And so we made a shift and decided to talk about uh, the Holy Spirit. And so I hope you guys are interested and ready for this. We're going to talk about encountering the Holy Spirit. Uh, and today, you know, as we go forward, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to introduce the subject. So I don't have ample time to really teach as much about it as I want to or would normally like to, but... The Holy Spirit is one of the most misunderstood members of the Trinity, no doubt about it. Most uh, Christ followers have no problem. Uh, they believe in the Trinity, the doctrine of the Trinity. Um, people, but when we talk about the Holy Spirit, you kind of usually have two camps. You got one camp that's like, oh boy, fire power, you know, and they want, they just can't wait. You know, they're all, they all want to go around like zap people. And, and, and then you've got this other camp that's like, oh boy, you know, is it going to get weird? You know, I like PD, and you know, but is, is you know, is the Connect bus going to go offline here, off rail? Like, what's going to happen? There's kind of that that tension and that polarity, and I just want to get everybody to just relax. Nobody's going to be swinging from the chandeliers at the end of this. There's going to be no dogs barking and and cartwheels in the aisles and stuff like that. But uh, we do want to allow the Holy Spirit uh, to move and have His way. The Bible says, "In Him we live and move and have." our being. And so the, the, the worship that we, the God that we worship, we worship God the Father, we worship God the Son, and we worship God the Holy Bible. No, we worship God the, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God on the earth, His, the representation of God on the earth. And so we're going we're gonna to look at the, the person, the work and the power of the Holy Spirit through the life of Jesus, Jesus' own words, and also through the word of God itself, and let him introduce the Holy Spirit to us and how important he is to our lives. Now, one of the things that was referenced there in that message opener is this, this, these two words called silent divorce. In America, ex almost exclusively, not in other parts of the world, there has been this silent divorce, this polar kind of opposite, this polarity, these two camps. Now, I don't know if you know... Uh, most of you have been touched by or even personally affected by 
um, the, the subject of divorce. In, in a divorce situation, a lot of times somebody goes, you know, half the family maybe, or sometimes all the family goes with the dad, and sometimes the family goes over with the moms. Everybody track with me? In other words, with the divorce, there's a split, there's a divide. And similarly, there's been a silent divorce within Christianity where uh, there's one camp where people are going over to the word emphasis, the word side, and I'll come back to that. And there's another camp that's going over to a spirit side, the spirit camp, the spirit emphasis. On the word side, there are people that are preoccupied with uh, an in-depth study of the scriptures, expository preaching that might not even mean anything to you, but sound doctrine, um, apologetics, I know what I believe. And I want to have an answer for certain situations. In that camp, that word camp, I don't really have an issue with that camp. That's healthy. That's good. It's important. The other camp, the spirit side, is usually made up of primarily charismatics and Pentecostals. This is a particular flavor in the body of Christ, denominational flavor. And in that group, there's a preoccupation or emphasis with uh, experience, spirit-led behavior, um, uh, the power and work of the Holy Spirit, signs and wonders, a return and belief that we can go back to the book of Acts and what has happened in the book of Acts can still happen today, that it's a continuation here in the modern church. And that emphasis, I don't personally have any problem with that either. Both of those are uh, uh, necessary. Both of those are okay. These two extremes are where we get, where we have our problems, this pulling away instead of this coming together. And the problem in the American church in some instances is that neither side is willing to listen to the other. In fact, they kind of dig in their heels and just kind of lob bombs at each other. And it's been happening literally for, uh, for uh, almost 100 years. This has been going on. And, 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 and we, in, we at Connect believe that both worlds can marry or they can merge and come together, that they are not attention, but they are tethered to one another in perfect harmony and balance. And there's a plumb line between the two where you can emphasize the importance of good doctrine. The Bible tells us in Titus to watch your life and doctrine closely. It's important, but it also tells us to be able to operate in the, and function in the anointing of the Holy Spirit in our lives, to live as spirit-led beings. Is everybody tracking with me? In fact, one of the theologians that was mentioned there in this message over, he's actually very well known to, to some, but his name is R.T. Kendall, and he said, the spontaneous combustion of the word and the spirit may result in that combination, the greatest revival the world has ever known since Pentecost, resulting in firepower in the church of Jesus Christ. What if there was those two things coming together? There would be a spark and there would be a fire that would begin on the church of Jesus Christ. If we could see those two things come together. Amen? Amen. Look in your notes and your worship guides and follow with me. Or you can follow along on version as well. Let me give you a couple of critical texts as we go forward and set the stage for this firepower series. Well, the first text is from Matthew chapter 3, verse 11, where John the Baptist, a forerunner of Jesus, and Jesus who later introduces us to the gift and person of the Holy Spirit, John says, as for me, I baptize you with repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, and I am not fit to remove even his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and what? Fire. That word fire pops up in different places in the Old and New. We'll reference in a minute. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus speaking says, But you, all of you, editorially, those of you who are praying and waiting on the Lord in the upper room, you will receive power 
when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, just like he did Jesus, by the way, and you'll be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere. A byproduct of the Holy Spirit coming into our life is that we're, we're witnesses. The byproduct of the Holy Spirit is not so that we just have a party, but that's so that we proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ with boldness on the earth. Mm, that's a good point right away. Now, this next text is more a consequence of the extremes, typically the extreme towards the word, maybe only sometimes. But more importantly, if anything's taken to an extreme, it becomes religious. It does not become relational. In 2 Timothy 3, 5, it says, they will act religious, but they will reject the power they will reject the power that can make them godly. In other words, one translation says they have a form of godliness on the outside, but they deny the power that makes them godly. So sometimes we're striving for something that is only attained through um, the power that comes through the Holy Spirit in relationship with the Holy Spirit. So here's your series big idea. This is, this, this is the big idea of the series as we go forward. The Holy Spirit is not a dry doctrine to believe, but a power and a person to receive. The Holy Spirit is not a dry doctrine to believe, but a power and a person to receive. And we'll talk more about the person today as we go forward. We'll unpack the power side of it as you establish the personal side first. And so the message today is called my silent partner, or I'd like to call my silent but powerful partner. <laughs> I was going to say silent but deadly, but that would lead us down a different path. That's funny. I don't care what you say. But anyway... This series has been on my mind for quite a while. When I was a young man, I used to watch the show, The uh, Courtship of Mr. Eddie's Father. Anybody remember that show? Raise your hand if you remember that show. Some of us have been, been around watching television for a while. And there was this uh, widowed, I think, a husband uh, uh, who had a nanny in the home, and they had this little boy named Eddie. It was just the cutest show ever. But I can just remember the first part of the song, and I used to, I used to sing it all the time. I could, I could still probably sing every single word. People let me tell you about my best friend. You know, my one boy cuddly tore him up and down my pride and joy. Anyway, the second part doesn't fit my illustration, but the first part, people, I want to tell you about my best friend. If you have a personal relationship with somebody, you're close to somebody, you can't help but talk about that somebody, right? I can't help but talk about the relationship that I have with my wife and my kids, my church, because I, have, I love, I have, it's intimate. I have the Greek word gnosko. It's an intimate relationship with them. The Holy Spirit wants to have that intimate relationship with you as well. Is everybody with me? So... A book that, that, that really helped me see this outside of the Bible and, and an experience that I've had with the Holy Spirit myself, when I was younger, and I'm not, a, I'm not promoting this book as uh, necessarily good doctrine and theology. I'm just promoting an aspect of the book that affected me. But Benny Hinn wrote a book called Good Morning, Holy Spirit. Does anybody ever remember that book? Or Anyway, Benny Hinn um, just wrote this book, and, and, and the idea that you get up tomorrow morning and the first words out of your mouth are, Good morning, Holy Spirit. We're in fellowship. We're in friendship. We have a relationship. It just changed the way I looked at the Holy Spirit. It altered the emphasis of the encounter with the Holy Spirit for me. And then later in life, uh, only a few years ago, just right when it came out, maybe five years ago, 
This book by Pastor Robert Morris was written. It's called The God I Never Knew. We actually have a small group in our church right now. How many are in that group? There we go. So uh, this book just affected me uh, it pr uh, profoundly. Some of, the, some of the messages that a couple of the messages that I do in this series will be impacted by this uh, strongly. Pastor Robert Morris did some excellent teaching on this. I highly recommend that. But um, sometimes we just have to kind of rewrite the scripts. We have to remove the man files and replace them with the God files to get things right in our heart and in our minds. Amen? But one of the things that I, I picked up from these two books, and I can see clearly from the Jesus Christ introduction of the Holy Spirit to the disciples is, you can write this down, it's in your notes. If we don't see him as a person, we can't have a personal relationship with him. If we don't see him as a person, you can never have a personal relationship with him. You cannot have a personal relationship with a thing, an it, a force. You can only have a personal relationship with a person. And I'm going to prove to you in the coming weeks that he's a person. You can't grieve a thing. You can't offend a thing. You can only grieve a person. And you may not realize this, but the Holy Spirit has been around from the beginning of time, just like God. In the, in the Old Testament, he shows up right in Genesis. But he's spoken of 800 times throughout the scriptures, the Holy Spirit. But in Genesis 1, verse 2, it's in your notes, it says this. The earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the face of the deep. There was just chaos on the earth. The Spirit of God. Everybody say the Spirit. Spirit. That's referring to the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. The Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, is the agent or the executor of the will of God. It makes it happen on the earth. Jesus was about heaven and hell. The Holy Spirit is about here on earth helping us and restoring that which was lost, giving us dominion back over the earth by the power of the Holy Spirit. But the word spirit in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for that was ruach. Ruach, big word, but it basically means a wind, a breath, a violent exhalation, like <laughs> that's the Holy Spirit. A lot of times, you, see, you know, old school Pentecostal meetings, you'll see like a, a pastor pray for somebody, you know, like blow on them. It's just a symbolic of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit coming in power. In the New Testament, the word for the Holy Spirit is the word pneuma, very similar definition, wind or current of air or blast of air. What I like, though, is in the Old Testament and the New Testament, not so much the definition or the word, but how it appears, the description. A lot of times, the, the word for the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament new is fire, fire. You see the Holy Spirit manifest when Elijah was confronting the prophets of Baal, and there was 400-plus prophets calling on their God. Elijah mocks them and just says, you know, where's your God? Is he going to the bathroom or something? Maybe you could call him out here. It's awesome. It's a true story. And so then on his side, he's, he's just waiting for them to give up. And then he just pours all this water on this altar and says, whoever's God responds with fire, that's the God we should follow and serve. How many know that I want to follow a God that actually does what he says, that comes through, that shows up in power? And so Elijah calls fire down from heaven, and fire comes and consumes the altar. There's another example in the Old Testament where Moses is leading God's people out of Egypt into the wilderness and during the day, they followed a cloud, but at night, they followed a fire. They followed a fire. In the New Testament, you see fire. There's many examples, but in the New Testament, you see cloven tongues of fire appear on people's heads when they were praying in an upper room like this, waiting upon God in response to what Jesus told them to do, and fire fell. In the New Testament, you see examples where the scripture says that God, our God, is a consuming fire. Turn to your neighbor and say, fire. Okay, so what's important to know 
And a distinction between the Old and the New is that in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would fall on somebody, and then he would depart. He'd go away. So in the Old Testament, Saul... Saul was a, a great king. He was selected and appointed by God. He was handsome, stood ahead taller than most people, but he had issues. Now, how many know everybody's got issues? If you don't think, that's, if you, don't think you have an issue, then that's your issue. Right. So Saul had an issue. He had the fear of man. He was always concerned about what everybody was going to think. But when the Holy Spirit came upon him, he would be as if he was another man. He would begin to speak with boldness and confidence and prophesy. But then the Holy Spirit would leave. David had that happen over and over again. In Psalm 51, he prayed. He said, God, take not your Holy Spirit from me. Because he would come and he would go. What's great for you and I as New Testament believers who have called upon the name of the Lord, have invited Jesus Christ into our heart, that have accepted the work of his son, the death, the burial, and resurrection, the gospel of Jesus Christ is at work in us, the Holy Spirit can come upon you and never leave you. But you have to be in relationship with him just like you have to be in relationship with Jesus. And so in a word, the word and the spirit can come together. And I like to call it the term empower Christians or empowered, empowered evangelicals. He wants both those things to be married one to the other. He came to empower us here on this earth. Amen. So John 14, 15 and 16 is kind of where we're going to camp this morning. And in these texts, quickly, let me give you the context of these texts. Jesus is in the last week of his life. In the last week of your life, you tend, if you knew it was the last week of your life, or if you knew you were really sick and you could lose your life, you'd probably say some important things to people. You wouldn't say, hey, can we go to Chick-fil-A one more time? We probably, no offense if Mike's in the house. But we probably say things that we wanted to download that were critical, essential, very important. That's what Jesus was doing. And so he begins to unpack some important things, in particular at the Last Supper. And he has a conversation with them about the Holy Spirit. Look in John 14 in your notes. It says, Jesus speaking, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate, a helper, to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. For he lives with you and will be, what? In you. So I want you to understand, for those of you who are interested in good doctrine, this is an illustration of Jesus telling people of two works of grace. The first work of grace, salvation. The second work of grace, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But what would you say if it was your last week? You'd say some important things. You'd follow through on instructions that were given to you in a mission that God gave you. And God gave, God the Father gave Jesus a mission. And in John 14, 31, basically, uh, this is taken from the message translation. Um, it, Jesus said, I want the world to know that I love the Father, and I am carrying out my Father's instructions right down to the last detail. One of those important details was introducing someone important to us. So when Jesus is getting ready to leave, he says, I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to leave you a helper. I'm going to leave you an advocate. And after supper, after they're singing psalms and hymns and having a good time, and Peter, somebody's got a guitar out, and they've got a little djembe going, and they're having a good time. And all of a sudden, in the middle of that, Jesus calls them in, huddle, 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 huddle up. i got to tell you something. And he drops a bomb. And he says, I'm, I, I have some, some news I need to give you. Uh, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I'm going to die tomorrow. They're like, what? 
you know, they're devastated. They're shocked because he's dropping this bomb on them because they were under the impression he was going to be a king here on earth. That's why they were politicking and pushing and promoting themselves. If you see the conversations that preceded this amongst the disciples because they thought something that was going to happen now suddenly is not going to happen because of what Jesus told them. He's getting ready to die. In fact, he, he, the next morning at 9 a.m., he was on the cross. He wasn't kidding. And what happens right after this, this bomb that he drops is he says something that is so critical to your connection with the Holy Spirit as it was theirs. Look in your notes, John 14. It says, one, in verses 1 through 4, Jesus basically says this. Don't let your hearts be troubled, because he knew they were. He says, trust in God, the Father. Trust also in what? Me. Trust also in me. So Jesus does something. He taps into his relational equity with his disciples and, he, and his followers, and he says, trust me. Trust me. Why? Why would he do that? Because he knew the end wasn't going to be like what they thought, but it would make sense later. So you need to remember, and I want to hit a timeout, a pause button on the series. As we go forward to discuss the subject of the Holy Spirit, don't trust me. Trust Jesus. Trust his own words. Read it for yourself. Look at John 14, 15, and 16. Go through this journey and this process with kind of open eyes, with, with trust in your heart, because he kept talking about the Holy Spirit over and over and over again. He saw their disappointment, and he says, I've got a partner for you that's going to help you in the here and now. In John 16, 7, it says, it's good for you that I go away. If I do not go away, the counsel will not come. Verse 12, it says, I have much more to say to you, more than you can bear now. He, the Holy Spirit, will tell you things to come. And so Jesus begins to talk about the Holy Spirit there in the Last Supper, all three chapters, 14, 15, and 16, on the walk to Gethsemane. He talks to them before he goes on the cross. After he's resurrected, he begins to talk to them for 40 days. He begins to talk to all the people all the time about the Holy Spirit. You can read it for yourself. And right before he ascends into heaven, the only thing he's talking about is the Holy Spirit. Jesus, and he's saying, you need to trust me. In Acts 1, it says, um, in a few days, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and then you're going to be my witnesses. But the irony of all of this is what? That something is so important as this then, and something that is so important now, has become one of the most controversial subjects in the New Testament church and also in the modern church today. Next week, I'm going to show you some statistics and history on what is happening outside of America as it relates to the Holy Spirit on the earth. It's astounding. And the enemy is trying to dupe us here and get us to miss out on something that is so critical to the, to, the, to the modern church. Because there's been more confusion and more controversy about this subject than anything else. People are saying, I love the Father. I, I, I can connect with the Father, my dad, my daddy, Abba Father. Like, that's no big deal. I can connect with Jesus, you know, my elder brother, my intercessor, my mediator, you know, my substitute. I get all that. But I don't know about this Holy Ghost. You know, and so you got pictures in your mind. I got pictures of Pentecostal services where people are going, Holy Ghost. <laughs> That's funny. I don't. Anyway, <laughs> the only Holy Ghost that I was comfortable with at a certain point in my life was singing the doxology. Praise the Father, Son and Holy Ghost. Like, that's all I knew. But I don't know about all this other stuff, you know. And so this overemphasis sometimes on the gifts 
and the power and the manifestations has underemphasized the importance of a personal relationship and intimate friendship with the Holy Spirit. And it's short-circuited and sidetracked what God wants to do in it, uh, through our lives. The Holy Spirit is not sometimes what you may think. And I guarantee you there are hurdles to cross in order to believe in him and see him. But what most of us have accepted is what people think, not what Jesus said. Mm-mm-mm. People bring confusion. The devil brings confusion. So they have these barriers. Let me give you three barriers to, to, to coming into relationship with the Holy Spirit. The first one. One barrier is ignorance, ignorance. You just don't know what you don't know. And again, this underemphasis or overemphasis of the role of the Holy Spirit sometimes takes away the main purpose of the Bible was to see lives change and people come to Christ. In Acts chapter 19, the disciples are going around sharing this, 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 this salvation and the gospel, but also the second work of grace, the receiving of the Holy Spirit. And they said, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they answered, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. They were ignorant of that. Many don't know you know, who he is. Many don't know uh, the things, some of the things that maybe they believe are wrong. They don't really know that. And so we have these preconceived ideas. As a result, we could be missing an alliance and a partnership in this life because of ignorance or even lies. So my advice is, again, get a fresh page on this. When you start this series, start fresh. Be willing, to, be willing to be vulnerable. Open up your heart to the word of God and to the son of God. Don't trust me, trust Jesus. Go to the book of Acts. Read scriptures like Acts 2, 4, 8, and 19 and see for yourself what is happening in the early church there and how it relates to us today. Because the Holy Spirit is not just some transcendental experience. It's not the force is strong with that one. This isn't some Star Wars thing. This is a person. Can I have an Amen. Here's the next barrier, fear, fear. Now, this was a big one for me. This may relate to some of you. I used to be a little afraid of God. Uh, you know, I think there should be a healthy reverence and fear of God. But sometimes my fear was I don't want too much of God because I'm afraid of losing total control. I don't want to relinquish control. You know, my father uh, doesn't like to fly on planes because he's not flying them. So he always gets on a little brace because he's not in control. There's just a fear about that. But how many know that if he didn't overcome that fear, then he would lose the many benefits of flying from point A to point B in a much faster and actually statistically safer form of transportation, right? Many of us are missing out on the benefits of relationship with the Holy Spirit because of fear, you know, and when you fly for a while, you can fly, fly foot first class and get those little footies for your feet and, you know, some of those, sometimes those places you can lay down even. Man, it's good after a while. But anyway, uh, we, we don't want to give up something. We don't want to lose our lifestyle. We're afraid of losing control. And there's an Old Testament prophecy that really sums up this message in a picturesque way. It's taken from Ezekiel. Do you have this in your notes, Ezekiel 47? Yes or no? Do you have this in your notes? Okay. So let me read this to you, and then let me unpack it, and you relate it to you because it does relate to you and me. Verse 3 through 5, it says, measuring as he went, this is kind of talking about this progression of relationship. Measuring as he went, he took me along the stream for 1,700 feet and then led me across. The water was up to my ankles. Circle or underline ankles. He measured off another 1,700 feet and led me across again. This time, the water was up to my knees, circle or underline knees. After another 1,700 feet, it was up to my waist. You get the point. Circle that. Waist. Then he measured another 1,700 feet and the river. Everybody say the river. The river. 
that's the analogy, the picture that God's using as he speaks to us, was too deep to walk across. It was deep enough to swim in, but too deep to keep uh, it's too deep to walk through. He's basically saying this to us prophetically in Ezekiel. There's going to be a generation, I believe it now is, where many of us are basically uh, saying and preoccupied with just control. Control. Many of us are playing it safe. Many of us, because we're afraid, we're, we're just going to hold on. We want to steady ourselves. We don't want to surrender uh, to the current of God, the current of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And it's interesting that many of us uh, were at these different stages of faith. Some of us are ankle deep. We've accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior. We have the fire insurance. We're gonna, we know we're going to go to heaven. That's as far as we've gone, though. Some of us are knee-deep, where we've begun to go to church on Sunday. Some of us are waist-deep. We're reading our Bibles, and we're trying to live a moral life. We might even be serving or giving. But very few of us have surrendered, where, where our feet have come off the ground, where we've let go of control to the Holy Spirit to have all that he has for us. And the Bible tells us later that it's in that river, that relationship with the Holy Spirit, that it's teeming with life. The thing that you really want deep down inside of you is in that surrender of releasing control, letting go of your fears. It's counterintuitive sometimes, yet the world offers us a substitute. This is not in your notes, but in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, you can put it in there somewhere. But there's this preoccupation. Actually, when I was thinking about this, I had a song come into my head. You'll think I'm a little crazy, but I was hearing this song, Everybody's Working for the Weekend. Right? Isn't that song always come around Friday mornings at the end of the week, you know, and the heavy metal goes and all that? And so there's something inside of all of us as people where we want to let go of ourselves. We want to give it all up on the weekend. We want to have an out-of-body experience. We want to have fun, and we want to have pleasure, and we want to have joy and fulfillment and all those things. And in order to do that, we have to fill ourselves with something Wine and what? Spirits. Interesting. In order to be able to go there. And so the enemy offers us, the world offers us a solution and a substitute for what God intended in its original form that does not bring sorrow in the morning, that does not put you over a toilet where you have regrets because there's no regret in the morning when you surrender to the river of God. But there will always be regret when you surrender to the world's solution. Because the Bible says when you do that, be not drunk with wine, whereas in excess, but, but that leads to debauchery. Debauchery means out of control. You have no control of your life. But be filled with the Spirit, and God puts control back and order back into your life, and you also have the joy of the Lord, which is your strength. Can I have an amen out there? Let's give the Lord a big hand clap for that. That's what happens. Yes. And so Jesus is trying to say, what I'm getting ready to do for you that's going to help you here on earth is not what you think was going to happen, but I'm going to give you rule over your own vessel, not come down here and rule this whole world and tell them everybody what to do. I'm going to, if you surrender to him, you'll have rule over your own vessel. Trust me, he says. Trust me, he says. Because you don't want to be in control. Because if you're in control, you're going to be totally responsible. But when he's in control, he's responsible. Here's the third point. Resistance. Resistance. I think I am, you are, naturally, by default, give the Heisman to the Holy Spirit. Resistant. We kind of like, mm, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. God, God, let me tell you something. He's doing it right now for some of you. God will keep messing with you. 
He'll keep messing with you. He'll put people like me in front of your face. He'll put books like this beside your bedside table. You'll turn on the TV. Ah, there's another, there's another guy talking about that. You'll have some kind of personal encounter or something will happen to you because he's trying to mess with you because you keep on resisting. Acts 7.51 says, you stiff-necked people, or as my father would say, stiff-necked. <laughs> you stiff, he always had to get naked in there somehow. You stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears. You are just like your fathers. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Don't be like the previous generation. Be like the next generation. Be like God's generation. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. Peculiar means sometimes we're going to be a little counterintuitive. We might look a little different, but everybody wants it because it makes us different and the world's different because of it. That's what God wants for us. So stop resisting God. See God through his word and see God through the words of his son. Think about it. Why wouldn't he want to give us a powerful partner in this cursed world we live in? It's messed up. Has anybody noticed? Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, it's, square, it's scary. And so what happens is the, the gifts and the power aspects, the manifestations have hijacked the, 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 the relationship and intimate fellowship with the Holy Spirit. And it's, it's about knowing a person. It's about friendship with the Holy Spirit that outweighs the frills with him. That's what God wants. And think about it. If you have, he can't trust somebody with the power until he knows you know him. So, so a lot of times people are doing things that are not the Holy Spirit. It's just exhibitionism. It's, not, it's just craziness. But when it comes through relationship, it makes an impact. It makes an impact. He's not someone who will make you crazy. He's someone who will bring order and peace. If he did it in Genesis, in a chaotic world, he can do it in the New Testament, and he can do it in a new you in the crazy world in which you live. The Holy Spirit brings order. In Genesis, he did that. In 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, what's known as the charismatic sandwich, where it unpacks the relationship, the order, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. In that, the context is that God, the Holy Spirit, is a God of order. He's a God of order. So don't listen to what other people say. Listen to what God's word says about himself. Amen? Amen. So let me introduce you to Jesus. Let me introduce uh, the, the Holy Spirit through Jesus' words. Number one, he wants to be with me. He wants to be with me. Me is the underline there. Paraclete is one of the names of the Holy Spirit. It's talking about uh, the consoler, the advocate, the helper. The one word that I like the most that describes the Holy Spirit is the comforter. Your Bible may say comforter. How many of you ladies have an expensive, only to be seen, not to be used, comforter on your bed? Raise your hands. You're not admitting it. There's a lot of lying women in here. My mother had three rooms in the house that had comforters on the bed that you could not lay on. I can remember getting in trouble, going on the bed. I'm laying in the bed, and my mother's like, what are you doing? What are you doing? And I'm thinking, I'm relaxing. I'm laying on the bed. You can't lay on that bed. We don't lay on the bed. I'm thinking, what? She's like, you can't lay on that comforter. That comforter's not meant to be. Anyway, I, I didn't understand it. I'm like, oh, oh, I didn't compute. Ladies, you do this with other things too. You have towels in the bathroom. Oh, I'm going there. I'm going there. That we cannot touch. I don't get it. 
And I want to confess on behalf of all the men in this room, when you're not looking, we wipe all our hands over those towels. Guys, getting some stuff on your chest, off your chest right now. Any guys besides me? Get it out. Get it out. Get it out. Just confess that in Jesus' name. All right? 2 Corinthians 13, 14. It, there's the comforter. He's a comforter. He wants to have that friendship, that fellowship with you. Number two, he will teach me what to do. He'll teach me what to do. John 14, 26 says, he will teach you all things and remind you of everything that he already said to you. Have you ever forgot stuff that he said to you? Yes, that's why you do the dumb things you do sometimes. So the Holy Spirit reminds you, oh, you don't want to do that, remember? I've, been getting, I've made an observation sometimes of certain things my wife or my kids are doing, in particular my wife, and I'm thinking something, and it's, I'm thinking about it, and it's trickling down, getting ready to come out of my mouth, and the Holy Spirit will go, oh, I wouldn't say that if I were you. <laughs> that would not be a good idea. Yeah, but yeah, but, no, 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 no. That's how the Holy Spirit talks to me. That wouldn't be a good idea. In fact, you need to say this and probably take her out to dinner. Are you serious? Yes, trust me. Trust me. He's been right. He saved my butt so many times because other times I didn't do what he said. He's like, I told you. You didn't listen to me. Sometimes I'm reading the Bible. This has happened so many, just recently, even, even next week, I will unpack something that as a Christian I did not know until the Holy Spirit showed it to me. He will teach you things. He will help you in so many different ways. 1 John 2.27 says, As for you, the anointing you receive from him remains in you. You do not need anyone to teach you because the Holy Spirit, his anointing teaches you about all things. And as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him, relationship with him. Number three, he will help me share my faith. This is a huge point. I, uh, uh, I grew up with a fear of sharing my faith. Listen, listen, look at me. Most of you have that fear. Otherwise, there'd be people getting saved by the droves. The reason sometimes we're not is because the Holy Spirit is not fully activated in your life. I'm just telling you that. When I was growing up, I had a, I would call it a fear of man, or you could, a modern way to say it is an approval addiction. I want everybody to like me. The enemy would hit me so hard in the very thing that was going to be my calling and strength. Not because he's omniscient, but because he's intelligent. He doesn't hit us in our weaknesses so hard. He hits us in our strengths and tries to make them weaknesses. I was called to proclaim the good news, to be a preacher. We're all called to give away the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're all called to be ambassadors for him, by the way. And so he would hit me hard, 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 hard. And, and, and yet he put, God put all these people around me that were bold and share their faith. And back in the day, we used to do like door-to-door stuff. Like, how many know that is old school? Scary. I always called in sick on that day. I'm sorry. The devil was, you know, he's attacking me and anything. Feeling good? I couldn't even make the call. I was so scared. I'm like, hoping I can leave a message. Back then, we didn't have texting. That would have been so awesome. But it was diabolical. He would try to hit me in my strength. But when I was about 15 or 16 years old, I got filled with the Holy Spirit. Can I just tell you what happened? I became another person. It was like Saul became another man, but it stayed with me. I became bold. I was not ashamed. I knew what I believed and in whom I have believed and am persuaded. What am I persuaded? I'm persuaded to persuade. Knowing, therefore, the fear of the Lord, we persuade people. 2 Corinthians 5.11. And so I started winning all my friends to Christ as a junior and senior in high school. Date girls, get them saved, break up with them. <laughs> Dude, I asked my parents, it happened over and over again. I'm, we're good, see ya, we're all good. 
they'd just get close to him, and then I'd bail. Like, I thought we liked her. She's saved now. And that, that's what happened over and over again. Boldness. And boldness, by the way, isn't standing up on a pulpit and standing up in the middle of a grocery store and whacking people overhead with a Bible and putting a Bible between your arms at a urinal and scaring everybody. That's not what that means. Boldness is when the opportunity pops up, you speak up. You say what God tells you to say, what the Holy Spirit tells you to say. Amen? Three-year internship Peter had with the Son of God. Think about it. You can study all you want. You can be right up alongside Jesus himself. But he couldn't stand up to a little girl and share what he believed. But when he was filled with the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, it was only moments later he began to preach and thousands of people came to Christ and were baptized. And then at the threat of imprisonment and punishment, he said, I cannot help talking about what I've both seen and heard because he had been filled with the Spirit. It changes things. It gives you fire in your relationship with God and overcomes the fear to share what he's given you. Amen? Number four, he will convict me when I'm wrong. I don't know about you. We call this in Christianity uh, a check in my spirit, a check in my spirit. Sometimes you don't even know the scripture, the chapter, and the verse, but something inside of you is saying, that's not a good idea. You shouldn't do that. You need to stay away from that. You need to flee. You run. Get out of here. Don't. Don't go down that road. Don't go down that path. Don't look at that. Don't, don't say that. Don't call, don't call that out. Don't speak like that. That's the conviction of the Holy Spirit. One of his job descriptions is to convict, or another word you can interchange with that is convince you of something you're thinking that is wrong because sin is conceived in the thought life. It's spoken out in the word, and then it becomes an action. So the Holy Spirit goes into your thoughts and renews your mind and helps you change your mind and convince you of what you believe that is wrong and make it right. Isaiah 30 says there will be a voice behind you saying, don't do that. This is the way you should go. John 16 says he will convict the world or convince the world. When you get that conviction, listen, some of you need to hear this. When you get that conviction or that convincing of the Holy Spirit, it doesn't. if you don't do something about it, it becomes condemnation. Conviction unattended becomes condemnation. That's why you're having problems because you're not responding to the, wake yourselves up. I'm not boring. I'll come out there. <laughs> Conviction unattended becomes condemnation. Now, here's what, here's what the devil comes in and lies to you, and the Holy Spirit wants to correct, and he's doing it right now, is conviction doesn't mean he's divorcing himself from you when you don't do it. Condemnation doesn't mean he's divorcing himself. It means he's distancing himself. You're not out of relationship. You're just distant. Have you ever been in a fight with somebody? That's all. I'm not divorced from my wife. I'm just in a fight with my wife. Not right now. Just an example. Everybody's like, pray for him right now, pray for him right now. Okay. All right, here's the next point. Last point, number five. He will guide me to truth. Guide me. Some of you, at times in your life, there's so many things I could say about this, but you feel lost. Some of you feel depressed. I get messages all the time, struggling with purpose, struggling with depression, struggling with issues in my life. Now, yeah, you know why? Because you're barely ankle deep. Because you're still, you're still knee-high in the water. Because you're still waist-high. You're still in control. The Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth. When you have truth in the inner parts, thy word have I hid in my heart that I may not sin against God. When you have that intimate fellowship and relationship with the Holy Spirit, when you imbibe not the word of truth but also the spirit of truth, when those two things come together, you'll be transformed and changed. You become more into the likeness of God as he intended for you to be. And so why don't you go deeper? 
Why, why don't you? Because, we, because the, Satan tries to get us scared. He tries to convince us that the Holy Spirit is weird. The Holy Spirit's not weird. People are weird. Really weird. Right? And he tries to convince you that this whole thing is controversial. It's only controversial because we're listening to man and we're not trusting Jesus. We're not trusting Jesus. Would you stand to your feet and let me pray for you and put your worship guides away? So much to say, but no time to say it. But I would say this to you. With every, everybody just being really still and really reverent for just, just, just another minute. Just another minute. You may need to come down after the service today and be prayed for to go a little bit deeper into the relationship with the Holy Spirit. But if you would, would you just close your eyes? Not because of any other reason but focus. You close your eyes, look at your own heart, and listen. Right now, listen. Just listen. What is the Holy Spirit maybe saying to you? What is the Holy Spirit not saying to everybody? What is he saying to you? What is he saying to you? I would say what Jesus has already said. Trust me. Jesus is saying, trust me. Have you trusted me with relationship, fellowship, intimate friendship with the Holy Spirit? If you're here today and you know you've been at a certain stage in your faith and you agree that it's not for you to stay the same but to move forward, to go from ankle to waist, maybe to, to knee to waist, from waist into the river where it's teeming with life and you want to move forward in your faith and in your fellowship with the Holy Spirit, would you raise your hand and say, that's me. I want, Pastor, I want you to pray for me. God bless you. All of them, don't get it on it. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. God sees your hands, not just me. Not just me. God bless you. You can put your hands down. If you're here today and you have never uh, transferred your trust to Jesus first, in order to embrace the gift of the Holy Spirit, fellowship and friendship and personal connection with the Holy Spirit, you have to first connect with Jesus. Jesus is the one where it starts. He gives us the Holy Spirit, but you have to come to him you have to come to the one who paid for your sins, the one who paid the penalty for your sins, the one who can clear your conscience, the one who got on the cross for you. If you transferred your trust to Jesus, are you in relationship with him? Have you worked out the eternity thing before you work out the earth thing? Are you sure? If you're not and you want to be sure today, would you raise your hand and say, that's me. I want to transfer my trust to Jesus. I want to come into relationship with God before I leave today. God bless you. Yes, yes, yes. Thank you right there. That's awesome. Anybody else all the way in the back? I thought I saw somebody over there. That's awesome. That's awesome. All over there. Yes, that's awesome. If you're, if you're listening online or you, you respond as well in Jesus' name. Now, I want you all to pray this prayer with me. Those that raise your hand, both groups, you pray this prayer with me. Believe it in your heart. Let's just say this. Say, Jesus... Come into my heart. Save me. Make me a new person in Christ Jesus. Holy Spirit, I want to be in relationship with you, fellowship with you. I want to know what it is to have that personal connection with the person of the Holy Spirit. I choose this day to trust Jesus' words, to trust the word of God and accept the, the relationship with the Holy Spirit in my life. Now, Father, every person, I pray that you move them from where they are to where you want them to be, ankle to knee, knee to waist, waist right into the river of God in Jesus' name. This begins a new journey of fellowship with the Holy Spirit that will be so powerful. It'll put the fire of God in their life. Thank you, Jesus, that we can trust you with everything we have in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. And hey, Come on, let's give the Lord a big hand clap. That's awesome. Woo!